Welcome to the ABOP podcast. ABOP is the Alliance of Black Orchestra Percussionists, a nonprofit organization that focuses on mentoring future generations of black percussionists. My name is Raynor Carroll. I am your host and an ABOP founder. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast, part one of a conversation with the legend, Professor Johnny Lee Lane. If you don't know of Professor Lane, I am sure you will enjoy learning about his career and his many achievements. Joining me as co-host is one of Professor Lane's former students, Dr. Don Parker. Don is chair and professor of music at Georgia College and State University. Don, thank you for being here and for all you do for ABOP. Oh, my pleasure to be here. This is something that I've been looking forward to doing this particular interview here today. All of us, all of us to say. Don, would you do the honor of introducing Professor Lane by first mentioning some of his achievements? Yes, well, Professor Johnny Lee Lane, he has been one of the most admired professors, but maybe some one of the most unknown ones at some point in time. But we know that based upon Johnny Lane's uh, career and the various students that have been out there, he's been very influential. Um, under the radar sometimes, but we, we're going to pick that above the radar this time. Johnny's <laughs> background started, he actually was a professor at Tennessee State for about two years, I believe. And then from there, he's been, at, he was Eastern Illinois for 28 years um, as a professor of percussion there. And I can't even count the number of students that he's had, but we'll talk about those later. Also, then he pursued a, a little further career at Indiana University, IUPUI for a little bit there. I think that's about two years. And then now he is currently the, the faculty member teaching some students at Butler University. Johnny has several publications out there that he's done for marimba, uh, of course, snare drum. And then also he has been a member of the PAS Board of Directors, has received the PAS Society's Lifetime Achievement Award in Education Award. And of course, probably the thing he's known for most more than anything else is the founding the founding and the host of the United States Percussion Camp, which started back in 1987. Is that right? <laughs> Woo, I got the date right. And <laughs> and so that's a big, that's a very big deal. And he can tell you, we'll talk about that too. But also he's held the title of Director of Education at Remo and also has been inducted into the Con Summer Institute of Hall of Fame. Currently, Johnny is Traditional Products Manager at Dynasty Percussion. And we are proud to say he is an ABOP founder. Yes. Yes, yes, he is. And there are more accolades we'll talk about, but without further ado, I'm honored to be here at our podcast for you. Welcome, Johnny Lane. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be able to share with you guys and hear what you have to say and what questions you have for me, which is great. It's been it's been a big year for me and some more stuff coming and I just I'm just elated. Well, we know oh. that one of the big things was obviously you've gotten uh, an award from the institution that you were at so long, e Eastern Illinois University, where they actually established a scholarship in your name. Who gets what percussionist gets a scholarship put in their name? That's that's, that's a big deal, man. It is a big deal. It makes yeah. the is the big weekend. I have students coming from all over. And students I haven't seen in 40 years and more and and a lot of surprises that I, I just don't know. It's gonna be three days of 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 just awesome fun and, and excitement. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you're gonna be back in the 
Back in the cornfields of Illinois, Charleston, <laughs> back Illinois. In, <laughs> back in the cornfields of Illinois. As a matter of fact, when I got to Illinois, one famous person told me, "Don't you don't you look to develop a percussion program in the in the cornfields of Illinois?" And well, right there, immediately, that was my motivation. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I yes. mean, don't tell yeah. me I can't do something. Absolutely. And boy, I just took off like a jet because of that one little statement. I was going to do well anyway, but he really put me over the edge by saying that. And I couldn't believe that the person said it. After a while, he had to basically get on his knees and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Don't put well, any limitations on what we can do. No, yeah. no right. limitations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. somebody yeah. telling you, don't you look to build a percussion program at Eastern Illinois University in the cornfields of Illinois. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. You just yeah. you just made me like a jet. <laughs> so, Johnny, I understand like on the, the I believe it's October 21st and 22nd are the activities and there's a groove party on the 21st in the evening. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big party. Even the president of the university and his wife is going to be there. Uh, a lot of my former students and just people who are was connected with me and just around me these are other music majors uh, who are not percussion majors and uh, got a jazz group playing out morning putting together a great jazz group play some wow. for us yeah jaws man you should be there put i know they got a vibraphone over there or something <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the food is catered by the amish it's gonna be some incredible food fried oh, chicken wow. baked chicken all the sides you can and uh, all and desserts and stuff so it's going to be a biggie man i'm looking forward and, to it and i understand everyone is to bring a pad and a pair of sticks what is that about yeah. man what, <laughs> we gotta, explain that to me i mean aren't, aren't the aren't the lesson days over for your former students i know I mean, man I, I, come on <laughs> Some of them going to be kind of afraid to pick up them sticks, man, after all these years. But, uh, yeah, they're supposed to bring their ass and stuff, and I'm supposed to take them through some of the rudiments and stuff. And, man, that's going to be fun, man. I mean, I'm not going to ask them and say, what is this drag paradigm number one? Because most people can't even start it off. So uh, I will demonstrate the rudiment first, and then I'll have them play with me. You know? so I, think that's uh, I understand on Sunday you'll have a question and answer session. That's going to yeah, be uh, it's a lot of people that's coming in only on Sunday for the mm -hmm. band concert, the marching band indoor concert, and that's where the scholarship stuff will happen. I guess the first recipients of a uh, scholarship. I mean, the last I heard, it was uh, a lot of money. I mean, twenty five thousand was what they wanted to get going yeah. to have in thousand, but it went it's way, way, way over that. Uh, at this point. And so I don't know if they're going to present one scholarship or two scholarships. I don't know what they're going to do on Sunday, on that Sunday. So well, it's that... an endowed scholarship then? Endowed, endowed. yeah. Okay. It's forever. Yeah. It's forever. Okay. Well, you know, okay. the response does not surprise me, Johnny. And I'm sure, I hope it doesn't surprise you because, you know, you have reached so many and connected with so many over these years that you know, your students have become teachers and their their students learn through them about you and the tree just grows worldwide. So it would not surprise me at all that the, the donations have reached or have been exceeded in their expectations and deservedly so. Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I'm very excited about that and, and so honored too. you know, didn't expect 
that. But boy, when it when I finally heard about it, and I went like, oh man, I mean, it just touched my heart so much, man. I mean, I I thought that after I left Eastern Illinois, I really wanted to somehow be connected, and I think this that's happening next week bring my connection back to Eastern Illinois, and my legacy will live on. Twenty-eight years is a long time. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a long time. So. Well, you know, you know, I, I I was ten years old when I was there. I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were fifteen, man. No, come now, on, don't exaggerate. Uh, okay, so so speaking of ten years old when you started, I mean, you when did you actually start playing, JL? When when was the point when you started playing? You know, we always, you know, everyone has a different story as to when they started actually picking up the sticks with the mallets and playing. When was it? What was that first time for you? Just curious. I did piano when I was uh, third grade, so I was eight years old. So okay. uh, piano, voice, theory, and all that. I was singing a lot of gospel music from the time I was three years old. And my, my idol was Sam Cooke. And so okay. I was singing all his songs out with Soul Stirs, historical Af African-American gospel group. And Sam Cooke was the was my favorite singer. He still is my favorite singer. When I'm getting dressed in the morning time, I say, Alexis, Sam Cook Radio. <laughs> Pandora. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, that was that was my voice because uh, I imitated him all, all the way through. Mm, yeah. So by yeah. the time I got to seventh grade, I knew I wanted to play drums because the summer before that, I was hanging out with my, my cousin, J-Mo. Uh, oh, yeah, J-Mo, J-Mo. Yeah, the, so I was hanging brothers. out with him. Yeah, I was hanging out with him summer before my seventh grade year. And and that's when he was, he must have been a junior in high school. And uh, he was already playing with Otis Redding, Joe Tex, Ted Taylor, all, all the Southern groups coming through Gulfport, Mississippi, and New Orleans and Baton Rouge. They would pick him up and take him to do the gigs, and they would bring him back just in time to go to class, school. And uh, he practiced all day, all night. I've never seen anything like it before. I stood there and watched him practice drum set with the mirror coming out of the ceiling so he can see everything at one time. And um, oh, all he had to do, he was looking up, he'd be at the record player, the record's going and he's playing. And I was so fascinated how he was so dedicated. And so I went back and they had a band parents meeting where you pick out the instruments that you want to play. And I raised my hand up and said, Johnny, what you want? I said, I want to play drums. And they handed me a little old block practice pad with some rubber on top of it and fast sticks. And I go like, really? <laughs> Everybody else getting flute, trumpet, trombone? <laughs> I'm going, a practice What is this? A little piece of uh, block of wood with some rubber on top of it. You know, I'm going like, I said, a little instrument envy there. And then the band director said, Bansick, Brandick said, he said, when you can play all your rudiments, because I know you can read because you've been playing piano all the time. So I know I can read rhythms. But when you can play all your rudiments, then you'll get a drum. And that was another, that was one of those moments where somebody said, okay. so that's what it's going to take for me to get a drum? Now, I'm wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. How, how come he didn't say that to the flute player? I mean, <laughs> When you can play all your scales, I'll give you a flute, you know? <laughs> How are you going to play the drum, the rudiments, if you don't have something to play it on, man? I mean, yeah. we don't get any respect from the very no beginning. Respect, man. Yeah, I tell that's you. exactly right. That's, exactly that's, the same right. Thing. that's the same thing I had in, in seventh grade, beginning band. 
Everybody got their instruments. There's five percussionists back there. They line up these chairs and they put a piece of wood across the five chairs. And that's what we play on. It's like, come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was, so I continued playing piano. You know, so I continued playing piano. And, uh, but I was excited about the drumsticks. I mean, uh, that was the only mm -hmm. instrument I had was the drumsticks. Well, I guess the practice bag. And uh, after two months, I knew all my 26 American run from you. Wow. After two yeah. months. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, I went to my band director, he tested me, and I played them from slow to fast, back to slow. And you just learned yeah. that on your own. And I just learned it on my own because I was motivated by, I used to read the Drummer magazine. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in that magazine, you just saw pictures of Frank Arsenault, you saw pictures right. of uh, different people playing, and they, they would give, I would read their articles and stuff when practicing, and we had no videos and stuff, so you can forget that. So, so it was that at that moment that I, I started kind of doing what they said in, in those articles and practice slow, make sure you're accurate, make sure your strokes sound the same, make sure your accents are the same. And that was my only way of knowing I didn't have no private teacher and that was it. But I was, I was motivated because I wanted to, I wanted to be that kind of motive, see that kind of motivation in me that my cousin J-Mo had. Right. And, at that time, he was not known as J-Mo. He was Johnny Lee Johnson. We both named after the same uncle, Johnny Lee. And so I got, went in seventh grade. After a couple months, I did get my drum. I got a Ludwig field drum. Oh, white okay. one. Yeah. I used to set that joker up, man, and on the stand <laughs> in my room. And I would play that drum. And uh, nobody ever complained in my neighborhood. And this is before air conditioning, so windows were open. Yeah. But nobody complained in my neighborhood that I was needed to stop playing the drums or whatever, or it's too loud or whatever. Right. And then it wasn't until I got, you know, some real practice pads and, and I can put on top of it and, and use, learn my stuff silent, more silently and, and on the drum. I, I didn't, I didn't really like, but you had to have, again, you had to buy your own drum if you want to be in a marching band. So I didn't get in the marching band until I was in eighth grade. Okay. So, so junior, junior high, high school together. So here's a question for you. Okay, obviously you you are self-motivated at a young age from JMO. So what what made you want to make the leap to the collegiate level? I mean, that's that's really interesting is how you did the, how you got to that because you've been doing I mean, obviously playing quite a bit, but you know, but I I know you're you're a southernite. So how'd you how'd you make it to southern? Well, the key was that, you know, I, I got to be very good and I got I was voted by the University of Florida adjudicators as the best high school percussionist in the state of Florida. And that was in 1966. I was a junior in high school. And everybody wanted me because of integration. I couldn't go to the University of Florida, even though they offered me a four-year scholarship. They right. offered, the, the music department offered me a four-year scholarship, and I was turned down because on that application, it says race. Negro, white, blah, 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 blah. And I put a check Negro. And, and that was all it takes. All it took, and and of course I was turned down yeah. from going to the University of Florida, but I knew because of that I didn't want to go anywhere in the state of Florida. Right. you with all my friends, all my other percussionists that I knew wanted to go to FAMU, especially FAMU back then, and I said I'm leaving the state of Florida. And so I started looking at Michigan State, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, University of Cincinnati, and uh, I. Somehow, because of I, I was turned down at the University of Florida, Texas Southern got my information. 
And I had never heard of North Texas Southern, just like I had never heard of Southern University. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going crazy. Like, well, who's this school? They just offered me a four-year scholarship without even... So somebody at the University of Florida, because the, the band director at the Texas Southern was a white guy, uh, Dr. G. Mm -hmm. David Peters. And okay. so they had to have some kind of connection that, that how they would get my name and information and stuff like that and offer me up right out a real four-year scholarship. And uh, so by that time, I'm, I'm cooking like, like, I'm playing a lot of piano, drumming, and uh, I got into timpani. I went to the West Music and Art Camp at the University of Kansas, and that was six weeks every summer. We made an album right. every week. We had conductors every Monday morning. We got new music and a new conductor, Harry John Brown from the Milwaukee Symphony, and Western Noble from Luther College. I mean, just great conductors we were under. And I had a chance to play all this literature. I, got, I still have all my records. I got 12 records over there. Records from 1965, which is six. Records from oh, 1966, which is six, six more albums. See, and, uh, see, JL, that's technology, man. That was the, that was the tech during that time, man. Really, if you think what, about it. What, that album? Was the tech. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, to be able to do those things and have that immediate feedback, be able to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah I couldn't believe everything. it. They say every week we're making a record, an album. Yeah. Say, really? We have we have those six days or whatever to to learn all this new music and get private lessons and conducting. I took history of music and I, I paid extra money to have my own practice room. And so that's when I was introduced to Tiffany in 1965, taking lessons because my, my superintendent in Vero Beach, my, that's my hometown, Vero Beach, Florida, the superintendent in Vero Beach would not give any instruments to the black school, which is the school I went to in my hometown. And they said, the only way we can, we're going to buy timpani is that you have somebody to play it. Well, you couldn't teach. Well, we don't have timpani, so he couldn't teach me to play timpani. Right, right, but I had to learn right. how to play timpani at the University of Kansas. And and then that's when I studied with James Tambor and Leonard Cuddy. And they got me together to the point where I, I, I was kind of okay after six weeks. You know, I had a lesson every week. And they had to write a letter. They bring the letter back or they, they mailed a letter to Superintendent Thompson that I, I, I had lessons for six weeks. And so they, instead of buying four drums, they, they bought two, 29 and 26. And it was the Ratchet Dresden drums. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a chance to play solo timpani with the concert band my senior year. And and so that's how I got into timpani. So it was, we didn't have much equipment and stuff. I had never seen a marimba before. I never seen, oh yeah, I did see a marimba at the University of Kansas. I got a picture of me at a marimba. I, this is a picture where I would never show anyone. What? <laughs> picture I'll never show anyone. So I'm standing at this long instrument, which I, at that time, I probably didn't know what it was. It's just a wooden instrument that's big. <laughs> wow. And I'm standing there with my rudimental snap drum sticks and pretending like I'm playing. <laughs> There's a picture of me in 1965 <laughs> or 66 with my big old sticks over the bars. I'm not, I'm not striking, but it just looked so bad. I never showed any of my students this picture. I still have a picture. And I said, man, I said, that's, that's devastating right there, man. This me <laughs> wow. with, with some big old sticks standing over a marimba and not having malice in my hand. Right, I didn't know what malice right. were other than Timothy malice. And so that's how. I got my early training and stuff like that those two summers and 
some great yeah. teachers, and uh, I was around all great musicians. These were the best musicians from 50 states at the University of Kansas for six weeks, man, standing down dormitory. We, we practice, we go, go through this routine every day, learning all this music every week was just amazing. I remember I remember one of the conductors who was, we were, we were performing Teal Jugendspiegel and uh, Strauss, and he, before he even started, he said, is it anybody back there can play that double stroke role? And everybody looked over at him. Everybody said, yes. <laughs> he said, because at the end of Phil Eugene Spiegel, I don't want no concert role. I want a double oh. stroke role. Very oh, good. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so I, on that one on that recording over there, I have me in 1966 playing that field drum. Until you can spill, and it sounds so good. I could, if, when I put it on, sometime I go like, "Oh man!" I can't <laughs> wow, oh, that's great. You know, one of the benefits, obviously, of you know playing, performing every, or recording every week, is that you develop your reading skills. Yeah, you know, yeah. when you finished one week, you're done with that music. It's on to the next thing. You know, exactly. So. So every week you had something different to play and work on and learn a new new program. That that's yeah. a professional thing going on there. That's great. Yeah, yeah. man. And that camp doesn't exist. They may have the same name, but they, they probably just one week or something like that now. But uh, six weeks, man, was just awesome. Wow. Yeah. You know, on the college yeah. campus, six weeks, man. I mean, with some of the best musicians, high school musicians, man, I have ever seen. And that was band students, art students, dance students, all the fine arts. Right. That's great. Yeah, that exposure early obviously has led to, to how you say, providing that same type of avenue for students that you were able to deal with once you finished finished at Southern and went on. Now, you, <clears> did, your, you did your undergraduate at Southern, right? Southern yeah, University. Yeah. So I stayed at Texas Southern one year. They didn't have a percussion teacher. And, yeah, uh, I remember. I was, okay. up, I was upset with that because the guy he did study with Jack McKenzie at the University of Illinois as you know he was a trombonist. He said, "Yeah, I took a few lessons with Jack McKenzie." Jack McKenzie was the professor of percussion at University of Illinois right after Paul Price. So it was Paul right. Price, then Jack McKenzie, then Tom Siley. All right, so he he knew something. He knew some stuff, but so that's how. I, and I I was curious about. It. I say, "Oh man, you got no teacher, no percussion ensemble." Um, so I, I walked down to the University of Houston thinking that if I go to get down to the University of Houston, maybe they have a percussion teacher and stuff like that. They didn't have a percussion teacher. They had a guy in the symphony, out of Houston Symphony, that come in once a week and teach the majors, and they were in barracks, man. They were in trailers, man. I said, oh, man, I ain't, I'm, I'm not going to come up in here. This is no, I, at least at Texas Southern, they got a building. You know, the University of Houston, man, had trailers, man. They were in barracks. And so they didn't have no percussion home. It wasn't like they had practice rooms and stuff like that. Stuff was just, you know, wherever. And so that's when I made my mind, I got to get out of Texas Southern. And it was after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. when they told everybody to go home that night, April of 1968. I'm walking home from, must have been practicing six hours that day. And it was dark, quiet on campus. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I said, this is, this is unreal. I don't hear no cars. I don't hear no, nobody walking, nothing. And I'm going like, oh, it's scary. So I walk into my dormitory and I walk in and I pass the front desk to the elevator. And I turn around, I say, oh, why is everybody in the big room now watching TV? I say, this never happened before. So I walk back out, 
I said, what's going on? And that's when the person at the front desk told me Dr. Martin Luther King had been assassinated in Memphis. And so that's when I and everybody, and then, and then he told me, he said, everybody's leaving tonight. Everybody have to get out of here tonight. And so I went upstairs and I packed. And I said, oh, my goodness, I ain't got no money. I, I'm going to get <laughs> I'm gonna get out of here tonight. So I called the chairman of the music department, uh, Mr. Jack Bradley. And I said, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I'm, I'm going to leave. Uh, I, I just don't have no money on hand. And by the time my parents get me money, it'll be the next day. So he said, he said, I'm bringing you money over now. He said, you, you're one of our best students and one of our scholarship students. You don't have to worry. I'll give you money for the bus ticket and money to spend on the way. He picked me up, took me to the bus station, Greyhound, and there I was on my way home with the first big stop, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I had heard about Southern, and I had a three-hour lill in at the bus station while going on to New Orleans or whatever, and I paid a cab driver to take me on the campus of Southern University. And I said, well, you know, they closed too. It's nothing, nothing on. I said, mm. I just want you to take me to the campus, drive me around, and bring me back. And so that's what he did. And so that was... All I needed, the quietness of driving around Southern. I didn't have to see, I, don't, I didn't know anything about Southern University. I'd never heard of Southern University. My, my One of my theory teachers said, you should look at Southern. They have a full-time percussion teacher. And uh, <clears throat> and the, the percussion ensemble travel all over the state of Louisiana. That's where you need to go. And so I said, <laughs> never heard of no Southern. I don't even know what Southern is all about. And so I ended up pretty much on my way back. I, I had sent my papers in, just a letter or whatever, and and then oh, after we got back in school at Texas Southern, I went on the Greyhound bus again to audition, and the rest is history. Mm. Amazing, wow. yeah. That That's good old crazy. cab ride, that that cab ride, man, just motivating. It's quiet. The guy didn't know what to say. He didn't know what building was what. I just saw names on buildings, just stuff. I saw <laughs> music, music building, whatever. <laughs> That's how I ended up at Southern. I didn't even know Southern had a marching band. Had I had no idea until I auditioned, the band director said, "Oh, by the way, you you have to come back here for a free drill." I said, "Free drill? What, what's a free drill?" <laughs> said, yeah, you, you go get in the market. And I saw this big old band on a, on a big old picture behind him had an S on it. And I thought it was Michigan State or somebody because <laughs> uniforms you like the Big Ten, and we they are Big Ten. Uh, those uniforms designed at the University of Michigan, and uh, 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 he said. He said, that's, that's our band. I said, Southern got a band like that? I said, I never knew anything. He said, you never heard yeah. of Southern? I said, never heard of Southern band, never knew they had a band because I'm coming here because you have a full-time profession teacher. Right. That's all I know. And so the rest is history. After that, went to my free drill, man. Imagine 85 up and down that field. Back then, <laughs> it was not as hot as it is today. You know, there was no such thing as bottled water. There was nobody complained about being tired. <laughs> he was not, you know, it was hot, but it was never like it is now. The sun is too close to the earth. It's getting closer and closer to the earth. I hope people know that. By now. So you stayed in the dorms there? I stayed all four, all my years in the dormitory. And people, people complain about, hey, you need an apartment and all that. I say, no, no. I say, I'm going to experience college. I'm going to stay in the dormitories. I had a car. <laughs> You know, I had a, a souped-up Volkswagen, man. I mean, state-of-the-art, man. Brand new, man. Mag rims and a uh, big old pipe, muffler on the back, man. The thing and fan-fail horns on the front. <laughs> I mean, Wait a minute. Now, and now, a tell me. Hood. And I had a me, Yeah, that's what I want to hear about, because I remember they, 
there was a certain look about you. I remember, I remember seeing some pictures, and it was always that you know they, they brought back the big fat ties, right? Super fat ties, and 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 what was the other thing that was? Oh, the white shoes. <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was at East when I was at Tennessee State, I wore white shoes every day. Yeah, and I would get up there and conduct that band, man, with my white shoes on, man, and people would never forget. And I remember Ed Tutal Jones was a senior when I got to Tennessee State. Hmm. Yeah, now I Tennessee saw, State, this was when you were that was your first teaching gig, my right? first teaching job in nineteen seventy two. Ed, Ed Tutal Jones' senior year was 1972. That was his last year playing football. Wow. And uh, wow. so I remembered him, and he had to remember me because I was uh, I was the one that conducted the school song after every football game. The president mm. of the university demanded that. The guy with the white shoes <laughs> conducted the school song after every football game. Told the band director that. That was Clifford Watkins. And Clifford came to me, he said, Dr. Terrence, I want you to conduct the school song after every football game. I said, why me? I said, you're the band director. No, no, he wants you. <laughs> he wants you. He said, Johnny, because of your style, man, you, you bring out the best of the band, so you better get up there and do it. I said, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And it was then, after, in that spring of 1973, which was my first year, was when Ed Tutal Jones was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And that's when I saw him that day with a white Cadillac with a maroon convertible top with his boys in it going to the dining hall. I had asked the music. I was standing out in the music, out on the area of the music department, and I saw him. I said, Oh my God, it's Ed Tutal Jones. I bought him a brand new Cadillac maroon <laughs> convertible top. So many, many years later, me and the president of Remo on tour. And we get off the plane at Austin, Texas, for the Ohio State University of Texas football game, which was at that t that year, they were ranked one and two. And uh, we had baggage claim, and I'm going like, oh my God, it's I'm going like, I said, I'm going to have to go over there. <laughs> so he's waiting, and I'm waiting. And I said, Ed Tutal Jones. He said, hey, how you doing? I said, yeah. I said, you don't know me, but I know you. And I said, after a while, you'll know me. He said, really? He said, yeah. I said, I was assistant band director and director of percussion studies at Tennessee State. Your senior year. I was there in 1972 to 74. He said, yeah, yeah, okay. I said, I remember the day you signed with the Dallas Cowboys. He said, you remember that day? I said, yeah, because you drove <laughs> through the campus with your white Cadillac and maroon convertible car. He said, oh, my God. He said, you remember I said, yes, I remember. I saw you. I said, man, I said, I'll never forget that. And then here I am after all these years, 40 years or more. And, mm. and, there, and there he is. He remembered. And he said, I said, you remember me because I conducted a school song after every football game. Oh, my God, the guy with the white shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, white shoes is the key. <laughs> famous, famous. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, wow. Like, how did you man. keep them white, man? Jeez, huh? wow. How did you keep them white all that I don't time? know, man. People, the, the band students, when I would go out and demonstrate the marching, how they should march and everything like that, they say, probably, they say, you don't understand. I didn't change clothes. So I, I was always in a uh, churning tie every day when I was at Tennessee State. 
And I didn't go home to change just to come back to band rehearsal. Band rehearsal started at six. I just stayed on. And and the kids say, Ralph, your white shoes never get dirty. I said, I said, lifting them up. <laughs> I'm not scraping them in the dirt. You <laughs> say, Wow, how you how you keep your white shoes so white? <laughs> wow. So it sounds like those were great years there. Four, yeah. four great years, yes. Yeah, two years at Tennessee State, and then of course my my three my three one year at Texas Southern, three years at Southern, and I, I was section leader almost immediately because of my talent, and I I knew so much. I was always in training. People always complained, Johnny, why you wear a suit and tie or a shirt and tie and walk around with a briefcase every day? I said, <laughs> I said I'm in training. They say training for what? I say I'm a college professor. I say I don't want to learn how to tie a tie. The day I get a job, I don't want to learn how to be what I'm going to be. I'm I'm in training, so everything I do, whether in the classrooms, in the practice, oh. whatever, I'm trained to be what I'm going to be. Excellent. Excellent, and that's yeah. what that's what I did. You got into the mode before you were there, so that right, when right, you got right. there, it was just normal. It was just right. yeah. Yeah. I yeah. say I, I'm in training. I say I'm just not getting paid. You're right. I say, I'm, right. I'm 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 in training of what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, don't you want to be a high school band director? And I said, no, I'll never be a high school band director. I'll never be a middle school band director. I went straight to the college level. And they used to laugh. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I had some other percussion students start walking around with briefcases. See, back then, there was no mallet bags and no... no right, right, right. Like that. You had to have a briefcase. Right. And if I opened my briefcase up, man, I got my sticks and my mallets, my Tiffany mallets, my, my A440 pitch fog. I, I got my music dictionary book with musical terms in it. I mean, I, I, I'm ready. I got the books that I'm working on and, and so forth, and the music that I'm working on in that briefcase. So when would you say you made that realization that that's what you wanted to do? Yes. When I went to the University of Kansas, I said, oh, okay. you can teach percussion? Like <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, 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 you can. I said, really? I said, what you have to do to do that? And uh, that's how I, I, I started my mind. So by the time I got to be a junior in high school, I knew what I wanted. So it was after that 1965, the first year, when I went to my junior year, that's when I, I knew I want to be a college professor. And at that time, I was already dreaming about one day I'm going to have a professional camp where everybody's going to be involved. It's going to be a boot camp. I was dreaming about this. Yeah. I said, one day, one day I'm going to, put together a percussion camera that's gonna be second to none. It's gonna be like nobody's ever seen before, where kids can go and play everything, multiple classes, <laughs> work like crazy, like they're in a boot camp, like a Marine. Yeah. 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 It's ironic now, I, now I, I mean, just listening to the stories and some of them are, I remember a few, but then you've added a couple little extra nibbits, nibbles in there that mm -hmm. I didn't know about. Now I understand the motivation for the United States percussion camp. Now I know that you know, obviously from Tennessee State, you were there two years, and then that's when you, you made the jump to Eastern Illinois University. Now, at that point, I'm curious to know, when did you, from undergraduate after Southern, it was that when you went straight to get your master's at Illinois, Illinois Champaign? No, Southern Illinois University. Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then oh, that, yeah. that, that's when the teacher, my teacher said, what you want to be? When he first met me, I said, I want to be a college professor. Well, I'm glad because I'm giving you seven majors to teach. I said, oh, oh okay. okay. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to be the main conductor for the percussion ensemble, too. He said, I'm going to conduct a few pieces, but you're going to be the main one. Because I guess he had seen me conducting. Because I was taking, I was, my degree was in percussion performance and and conducting. And I studied with one, one of the best conducting teachers, me, that I, and, and so he, the word got out that I knew what I was doing. I knew how to do my hands. I knew I knew how to make music. And and that's that's when I continued to wear the suit and tie or the shirt and tie every day too. And continued with the briefcase and played the Creston with the orchestra, the whole Creston with the orchestra. And there at SIU. And one week after I graduated from SIU, I mean, just before I graduated from SIU, I had graduated and I stayed around. Something told me to stay around that summer. Because I didn't have no job. I was applying for jobs. And, and I, I told my parents, I said, I'm just going to stay around for the, until August. And that's when my first aud- audition came up at Western Michigan University. My first audition. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm flying there. And as soon as I get off the plane, the plane is late and all that. As soon as I get in the car with the guy, the guy said, hey, give me this big old pieces of paper. And he said, you plan this. We're late, but you, everybody's waiting for you, blah, blah, blah. But you plan this trumpet teacher. It was a piece for timpani. Solo timpani and trumpet, and I'm 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 going through while he's driving. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> I was ready for it because you know if you play the fabulous concerto for a timpani, you could play almost anything because all that tuning and all that stuff you had to do just to play. And I played the fabulous, and so I I walked in. Timpani were already set up. I didn't get a chance to even check other than just tune the note, tune, uh, tune my pitches. And, and they were already in there for like 30 minutes because the plane is late. So, and the committee and the students and everything, I walked right in, nailed that piece to the wall. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what the trumpet part was going to be. I could see it on my on my score when I'm we playing. But he had his part down and I just nailed it. And they looked at me like, it's not so <laughs> African American. What? <laughs> <laughs> he walks right in late, no warm up, no nothing, and 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 nailed all these pieces and blah 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 blah. So I knew I was gonna be close in getting that job. I didn't get that job. Don Baker got the job, and I continued to. I got another month to go, and then I get a call. I know I I see something that this chairman of the music department from the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee going to be at this conference in Cleveland, Ohio. And he would like to anybody interested in getting ready to hire their first full-time percussion. If you're interested, you can talk to him and, and, and get the information. But you have to come to Cleveland. All right? So I drove to Cleveland. <laughs> I remember seeing Euclid Avenue and all the places up in there. <laughs> Walked in, met him. Told him who I was and, and and I was interested and we talked about the program and stuff like that. And said so about twenty seven percussion majors. The guy in the Milwaukee Symphony was teaching once a week or twice a week or something like that. But we needed we needed full time percussion teacher. So after about a few days a week, I get a call. Say we're interested in bringing you in, but they had gotten my stuff and and you come in for interview. And so there again, I flew to Milwaukee. And walked in there and was just elated with what I was seeing. They had a nice facility and the students were had never had a teacher, full-time teacher before. And 
I came in and did my solo stuff and did my masterclass stuff. And, uh, and I just knew it, this one had to be mine. So a couple of days later, I guess they brought in the other candidates and, and they said, you have the job. And I, I, I go like, really? <laughs> they say, yeah, we sending you a contract, you know? And uh, so that's how I ended up getting the job at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And then a week later, Tennessee State started calling me before I got to and that's that's a whole nother story there you know <laughs> Tennessee State they wouldn't give up you know I'm packing to go to Wisconsin but Tennessee State saying no you come in here right right and we want you more we as a matter of fact how much are they paying you I said they paying me <laughs> nine five nine thousand five hundred dollars I said oh wow man, I'm making nine five man my first job they said we'll give you ten Wow. And all of a sudden they say 10-5. I just kept saying no. They said, okay, 11. Can you come? To I said, and my parents said, you're not eating. You're not sleeping. You just want to get on a Greyhound bus and go to Nashville and just check it out. Because I didn't want to drive. It was just too much driving. I got on a Greyhound bus, me and the Greyhound, which is the first thing I always wanted to do in my life. You can say, what you, what you ever wanted to do first? I said, I said, I want to be a Greyhound bus driver. I said, that's my ultimate goal. I might go to college, but I want to I want to go to Chicago to the Greyhound Bus Driving School and learn how to drive Greyhound buses. That's when they were shipping the gears, man. I used to enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, man, I can run in the I want to be a Greyhound. That was like when I was in seventh, eighth, ninth grade before I made the decision that I wanted. I'm glad the drums worn out. <laughs> yeah, man. You, you mean Sweet tell love. me you wouldn't get on my bus? I, well, no, I, I, I'd probably get on your bus. You, you talk about a party bus. Oh boy, yeah. look yeah, at the yeah. bus driver, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man I'm bus driver, man. I mean, boy, I wanted that so bad. My parents even knew that. He wants to be a Greyhound bus driver. You know, he's going to college. I see. Yeah, I'm going to major. <laughs> I say, but after I graduate, I'm going to Chicago to that Greyhound bus driving school. Well, I, I'm glad it didn't work out that way. I'm glad too. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole man. the whole world would have evolved differently <laughs> had you been a bus driver. Yeah, yes, so truly. I, so I go to Tennessee State, and they, they 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 roll out the carpet for me. I walk in, drum majors are calling me Prof Lane. I say, oh, what is a Prof? I'm like, oh, <laughs> nobody's ever called me that before in my life. I get to Tennessee State and I, I walk through the door and they're already, Ralph Lane, Ralph Lane. I'm going, like, oh man, what is this? And all of a sudden I end up over at the vice president of academic affairs and he hands me a contract. He say, ah. it's a contract. I say, I, I can't, I can't sign this. I say, I have a job. He say, we need you here, Tennessee State. We'll do it, whatever it takes for you. And so here it is. You got a contract. Sign it today and you have a contract. And I said, what am I supposed to do about the University of Wisconsin? Karen, the music department said, I'll take care. I said, what you mean you'll take care? He said, you just sign that and I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> so I, I ended up signing it. Here I am, a young woman snapper, 22 years old, and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it from all sides and everybody want a piece of me. And so he said, he said, I typed up this right quick. It says, Due to the circumstances, I cannot fulfill my duties at the University of Wisconsin. Thank you so much. And I'll mail this, I'll mail this off today. <laughs> While you on the bus going back to Florida, you 
I'll mail this off today. I said, oh, my goodness. When I got back to Florida, I knew every time. There was no cell phones, no voicemail, no nothing like that. It was, it was right. just a landline. So every time the phone rang, you pick up. I right. said, the University of Wisconsin people are going to call me, and they're going to kill me on the phone. <laughs> I said, because I, I can't. There was no way for me to know. Phone rang. I pick it up. And there was the chairman of the music department. He was screaming at me. Uh, you were never working. What do you mean you're not coming here? You will never work in the state of Wisconsin ever again. Your name will be blackballed all over the state. I mean, he was going crazy, crazy. And many years later, I see this guy at the Midwest Band Clinic. I walk up to him and I say, hello, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing fine, how are you? I said, I said, he said, do you know anything about our music department? I said, I kind of know, I kind of know something about. And, uh, I'm at Eastern now, right? And he said, he said, what instrument? So I'm, I'm young. I mean, I'm, when I got to Eastern, I was 128 pounds. I was, I was young, you know. So he thought I was a student interested in going to school there. And I said, no, I'm a professor at Eastern Illinois University and blah, 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 blah. I said, you don't remember me? He said, no, I don't remember you. I said, well, you do. <laughs> and I said, because I, I told him on the phone when he called and I had to say, I, you know, he was screaming at me and all that. I said, I decided to go in the Army. All right. Uh -huh. And, uh, and uh, I said, I, I'm going into the Army. And, uh, and so when I saw him, I said, I said, I'm trying to be lame. I had the job there and I didn't come. He said, oh, my God, I wonder what happened to you. He said, can you go in the Army or something like that? I said, uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I said, I'm at Eastern Illinois. I said, I really didn't go in the Army. I said, I was getting it from both sides. Two schools wanted me. They wanted me so bad. And I just went, I had to make a decision which one I. Said, it's okay. Just the guy that came in you second was still still available. And we hired him. And, and sure enough, that guy stayed 40 some years. He just retired a few years ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, 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 that's true. I love that story, JL. <laughs> My gosh. That's one of those ones that, you know, that, that was a testament to everything you had gone through previously to now say, now you're wanted. And previously, no one wanted to have anything. They were putting up all sorts of roadblocks. Right. And, and yeah. that was a testament to what you were, were doing. Now, I'm just curious to know, okay, so you you stayed at Tennessee State two years, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, two years. Okay. And so then the, the jump to Eastern Illinois after two years, because I know I, you had a couple, you had some great students at Tennessee State. The ones, I mean, you know, I can always think of, you know, Craig, Craig Williams was one of your students at Tennessee State. Bubba Bryant. Bubba Bryant. There was some really Larry amazing, Jones. These are some play. Yeah. And, and that was really the start for a lot of them doing the things they're doing. So, you know, why, why, why leave that now? Why, why, you know, what was the motivation for doing that? Making that move to Eastern? Well, the chairman of the music department bring me in his office. So I had, I had, I bought my own marimba. I bought my marimba and uh, they got a new set of temp. Uh, yeah, they got a new set of temp in me. And I think I wanted concert times and some other stuff that I wanted to keep adding to. So I was right. doing, you know, cause I had to select percussion ensemble uh, music based on what I had. Um, right. So, and then and there were some instruments I had to use substitution for. That's 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 history for all percussion programs. Instead oh, yeah. of this, use this. And 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 so he brought me in. He said, I just want you to know, because he saw the percussion program taking off like a check. And I had these students that second year, I had I had about 15, 16, 17 majors. 
and I saw these kids practicing, wanting to stay in the building all night, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they were motivated and people coming to the percussion ensemble concerts and stuff like that. I had a percussion ensemble and a percussion jazz rock ensemble, those two. And he brought me in his office. He, he started screaming at me. He said, I just want you to know, you're, this is the last group of instruments you're going to get. You're not going to get anything. Because I remember when percussion was a bass drum, a cymbal, and a snare drum. He said, that's all I can, That's all it need to be anyway. And once he said that, I said, I'm out of here. He said, I, so I went I went to my typewriter and I started typing. Let, I, I, I typed up me a nice letter. I got my resume together and I wrote to every school in the in the encyclopedia that said universities and colleges. I went down the A's, the B's, the C's, the T's. <laughs> I, I sent out letters to, and letting people know I am available. Right. That's what the letter said. I am available. And I used to get all, I used to get 25 or 30 letters in my mailbox. And most of them say, I'm sorry, we do not have a position, blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get this, uh, one letter from Eastern Illinois University that said, I'm sorry, although we do not have a percussion teacher and we never had one, we don't anticipate hiring a percussion teacher in the future at this moment. But we will keep your information on file. <laughs> one month later, I get a call from Eastern Illinois University and they said, are you still available? Are you still interested in the percussion program? We'll change it from a school of music to a school of fine arts. And because of that change, we have enough money to bring in a percussion teacher, 10 year track. Wow. And I said, yes, I am interested. (laughs) So I went for my interview, man, and the rest is history. I mean, I went in there and I, 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 I nailed it to the wall. And they hired me, man, and, and boom, I think that summer, I went that summer, they, start, they wanted me to start teaching in June of 1974. That's why I got 29 years of retirement, oh. which, is, which is full retirement, really. And, and uh, it was two summer sessions in the, in the summer of uh, 1974. So the rest is history, man. That, that summer, uh, that, that fall, I think I had six or seven students, and uh, they had never had a teacher there before in their life. I did that first percussion ensemble concert, man, and that, that was Every time they played piano for me, I own a couple pieces. Mm-hmm. The next year, man, I had about 16 percussion. Word got out. I didn't have to go out and recruit. I mean, I didn't know nothing about Illinois. I didn't know where to go here. What to go. I'm just still learning, but people were knocking on the door, man. Easton has a percussion teacher. And I've seen people coming to my recitals and stuff like that, and my early recitals. I'm playing with a lot of the faculty on their recitals and stuff, you know. So that's how oh, I kicked yeah. off. So it was word of mouth. Yes. The word got around fast that Eastern right. had, it was a big music department. It was 300 music majors at Eastern. Right. And I had about 32 full-time faculty members, not adjunct. There was no such thing. I never heard that word before in my life at that time. It was all full-time faculty members. And the only thing they didn't have was a percussion teacher. And that's a, that's a huge undertaking for a new professor to come in and be the first. You know, yeah. there, you, there's there's no organization of instruments, and you know, I, I just can't imagine. So, what was that challenge like for you? The challenge was they gave me a little, a little studio. In that studio, I had I, that that I got there in June, so I ordered ordered my set of timpani, which sits over here right now, set of five. They look just like they did when they came out of the box forty nine years ago. <laughs> wow! All right, they look wow. the same. They, wow. They, 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 so I bought my five set of five timpani, Ludwig Dresden's, 
and, and a xylophone and something else I bought. And that was in my studio. And I had two drum sets, but I can only get one drum set in there. And then my concert snare drum and my field drum with the practice path on it. And a desk. And, uh, and, 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 and my marimba, because I bought the marimba when I was at Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. Bought it from Frank's Drum Shop. We shipped it on to me from uh, Chicago when I first got to Tennessee State. My is that Muster? Is that is that Muster? Muster, Muster, Muster concert Four. grand. Yeah. Grand. Yep. And 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 so uh, I told the people, I said, because at Tennessee State, I actually had five practice rooms down there. So when I got to Eastern, I told them I said I need practice room. They said, Oh no, right. we, we can't we can't give percussions uh, practice room. Said, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I said, Oh, what do you want me to do? Say, well, this percussionists can be just like everybody else. I said, Oh really? Yeah. They say, you know, just just find a place to practice. Okay, I went back and told my students. Told me that because I went back and told my students. I said, guys, y'all can practice any way you want. <laughs> oh Lord! And drum sets was in the hallways. There they you were go. Classrooms. They were everywhere, all over the place. And all of a sudden, after about two months, you get a piece of a uh, departmental thing saying faculty meeting, and the title <laughs> said, "Make room for percussion." <laughs> So here I am, I'm going in there, man. They say, we got a meeting, man, on percussion. I said, in my, in my thing, I'm going like, yes, yes, yeah. And so that's when I got the studio that you studied in, Parker. Yeah. That's the one they moved me into. And then okay. they gave me five practice rooms. And eventually right. gave me keys to them. So only right. percussionists can get out. Yeah. And then eventually I got five or six more. I got a dungeon. I got the three. dungeon. Yeah. yeah the dungeon. Two drum set rooms, big old rooms. You put three or four drum sets in each one and, and the Latin room and uh, all that stuff. And I had temperature room and had marimba room, five rooms. I had everything plus the storage upstairs, which was like eight big old rooms. I say, this is going to make it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And, and, and you know, yeah. not having a someone before you, you would have had the you developed obviously the library of yeah. percussion there because they yeah. must not have had very limited, you know, zero, in, zero in method books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The library, wow. my all my years pretty much was my library until I bought, we bought the French Drum Shop library. I see. That's right. When did you when did you yeah. purchase that? Because that wasn't that was it. In the 90s. Yeah, um, the 90s. That's Bill what Crowden, I remember. Okay. Bill Crowden had bought the library and Frank's Drum Shop all together for Drums Limited. Right. And, uh, and he was going out of business. He's Johnny. He said, he said, I got all this music. He said, I don't want to be selling music at Drums Limited. They, we got the whole Frank's Drum Shop library, all these historical wow. pieces and everything. I mean, unbelievable stuff. 28,000 copies. Right? Wow. And he said, he said, can you get the university? You think the university would buy this? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm okay. I'll go over to the library. I said, we got a chance to buy the Frank's Drum Shop library for just $5,000. And the, the, the dean of the library said, if just, and plus, he was a percussionist. And so he says, we're getting this. <laughs> he, said, he said, but you have to go and pick it up. And so they, long white van, big old long university van. Mm-hmm. And boy, I went to Chicago, and I went by myself. I didn't have nobody. And we loaded that stuff up, man. And then I could see the, the back end of the van just almost touching the front. <laughs> it was so full of boxes and whatever. Man, I got back, and they had people waiting on me at the library, man. He took that stuff in, and eventually, 
we had to decide whether we could call it Frank Schrumpfschild Library or something else. I say, I would like to change the name to the Remo Belly International yeah, Percussion Library. Oh, great. Yeah. So it still exists. Everything in there is orange, hard bound binders. Yeah. And 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 they, the, the dean of the library says, Johnny, he said, anything four and more, any any stacks of four and more, you can have. We just want to keep at least four of everything. Right. And right. Uh, I said, okay. So that's how I ended up with a lot of stuff. I still have it. Stuff that was never published, but was written. And people be screaming for it. They can't believe where <laughs> it is. And, and one of my students here at that Butler said that I'm playing this piece, blah, 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 blah. And we went on the internet, and it was only one place where we can get it. I said, where did you get it from? He said, we got it from Eastern Illinois. The yeah. Remo Belly. I said, you kidding me? That's the first time I had heard something like this. That's I said, that's right. what it was supposed to be for, for everybody. And he said, yeah, they, they were the only place in America to get this piece. And wow. I said, oh, my goodness. It was a monster piece. And I said, oh, so happy that everything is there. So hopefully when I go back next week, I'll get a chance to walk through the library and see the orange. Because anything in that orange is the Remo Belly percussion. Wow. And Remo, and you remember, were you there when Remo and his whole family came? Yeah. And we had all the tables and everything all around. And they walked around, the whole family walked around and looked at all this music and stuff. Remo, his wife, his son, his sister, and her husband. They, they were all walking. We let them walk around the library. We they just brought over a certain number of copies and stuff. Just so, so the students at the U.S. percussion camp, after they walked through, and students got up and they right. walked it was, it was history in the making. That concludes part one of our podcast with special guest, Professor Johnny Lee Lane. We hope you enjoyed listening. If so, please continue with part two where Professor Lane talks about the U.S. percussion camp, how he connects with and prepares his students, and his thoughts on being inducted into the Percussive Arts Society's Hall of Fame. Please subscribe to our podcast and send us your comments. We are the Alliance of Black Orchestral Percussionists. Thank you for listening.